This is the Elliot Confidential Podcast. My name is Aiden, and I'm joined by my father, Christopher Elliot, and my brother, Aaron Elliot. That was a great introduction, Aiden. Good job. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> We're in Cappadocia, not pronounced Cappadocia, Turkey today, but we've spent the last week in Istanbul, Turkey. Wow, what a whirlwind tour we've had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, in, in this podcast, I just wanted to say we're going to talk about uh, flying chefs uh, at Turkish Airlines. We also have some insights into Turkish food that I think everyone... It's going to be a tasty conversation. Oh, yes. And we've got places worth visiting in Turkey, in, especially in Istanbul. Uh, and we're also going to talk about some of the communication problems that we've had. And my favorite part of this podcast, we're going to read some of your comments. I love those comments. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah. Woohoo! Okay, let's start with our uh, our. Let's start with the flying chefs because I am used to being on a plane and just having you know regular flight attendants. But Turkish Airlines has a real chef. Working mostly in business class, but also in economy class. Tell us your impressions of visiting the new Istanbul airport and and talking with a flying chef. Well, I think, goodness me, I think I gained four pounds <laughs> while we were there. Uh, they, they just kept giving us food. The, the food, they yeah. just kept giving us food. Really we always stop at the desk and they're like, we have a selection of cookies. No, they didn't use a French accent. There's... Good uh, I do do good we, Turkish we have, a section, we have a selection of cookies for you. And Turkish coffee, and too. And Turkish coffee for I you. I had some of the Turkish coffee. Yes. It was really good. You know what? Yes. It seemed French. That's the thing. Because they're wearing those, those, those chef hats. It looks very French. It looks very proper. It should be done in French, but it's done in with a uh, Turkish yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. I can't even do a good Turkish accent. Well, it, they, it tasted good, and I ate, uh, I ate too many of the cookies. I should have stopped myself, but nobody stopped me. They're like, keep eating, keep And fresh squeezed orange juice. Oh, did it taste good? Did it but, taste good? They love seeing you eat. Aaron... You you actually asked some very intelligent questions while Aiden and I ate, and so you you got to know a little bit about the program. Uh, can you explain the, the whole issue of flying? Why they have flying chefs and what are they doing on the plane? That kind of thing. So flying chefs are basically there to take care of the last stages of meal preparation. So we were actually at a food preparation facility where they give where they actually prepare up to 150,000 meals a day. To put wow. that into some perspective, that's, a lot that's of like, yeah. that's a ton of meals. I don't even know how many meals that is, but that's like all of the flights. It's up to 150 flights, 150 departures, and 150. It's 550, yeah. Oh, I, gotta, I have to interject here. The video that they showed us that said, oh, we have 550 departures, and then the next slide is, and we have 550 landings. I sure hope so. And I burst out laughing and go, I should hope that you have 550 landings. <laughs> and they, I don't think that they understood the humor, but it was like inadvertently making It's a very a joke. American joke. It is a very, I think, you know, our American sense of humor sometimes. Well, and then they tried to relate to like, oh, don't worry, we have that sort of sense of humor too. And they're oh. like, then what's the joke? Yeah. What's, what's so the funny? joke? What's so funny? Yeah, what's so funny? Yeah. And they couldn't answer. No. Um, but they are... Uh, these guys are taking over some of the duties of regular flight attendants and they're just focusing on the food. And so we actually got to go look at the, their, this whole meal preparation facility that they have where they're putting everything into the those little uh, trolleys that they put onto the plane. This is very impressive. Yes. What was the thing that impressed you guys? Oh, so the sheer scale of things. 
I would say is what impressed me because I was looking at them and it's not one big conveyor belt with all these machines doing it for you. It is just a ton of cooks there cooking food and preparing for, it, and preparing mm-hmm. it yeah. for these people by hand just at a big, large scale. I would have assumed there would be so many so many more instruments, so many more uh, robots to do the stuff that they were doing. It's but all no, done it, was, by hand. it was just a lot of people cooking. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this was the first time in my life that I'd seen a full proper tub of hummus. We did see a tub of hummus. I know. We've been joking around about a tub of hummus, but now we actually saw a real tub of hummus. Yes, and the reason why, of course, is because we love hummus, and um, a tub of hummus is just about enough. You wanted to probably put your finger in there and go, ah, that looks good. Did you know, I mean... Can't do that, though. Yeah, we learned this while we were there, but actually they overseason much of the food there because when you're in altitude, uh, you can't taste as much. I am glad you mentioned that because uh, it's been like, this is something that has been uh, an urban myth in among travel writers where we talk about how your taste buds become less sensitive at altitude, so they have to spice the food up. So I asked the flying chef, his name is also Aaron, good name, and he said, yes, they, they actually put one and a half amount of spices into the food so that you can actually taste it at altitude. And he says, so when you're, you're tasting it at sea level, it tastes very spicy. Yeah, exactly. I thought another interesting thing about uh, the Flying Chef program was just how qualified these chefs were. So a lot of people think, oh, this is just a flight attendant wearing a big chef mm-hmm. hat. In reality, these chefs have gone through two to three years of restaurant business, and then they have to go through uh, a four-week process like where camp. they're trained. It's a boot mm-hmm. camp. Yeah. And then they have exams. And that is a long process. And then finally, they're able to do their job on a Turkish airline flight under supervision. Yeah. And uh, some flight attendants, uh, or not flight attendants, I should say, some of these uh, flying chefs will wash out of the program too. Yeah. No, no pun intended. They actually will not allow them if they don't meet... Uh, Meet the uh, muster. They will meet the mustard. Meet the. I'm sorry, I'm using all these <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible puns. They don't pass mustard. No, pass muster. I have heard that yes. saying only uh, once before. I immediately thought mustard. mustard. Okay, let's keep talking about Turkish food since I'm starting to get hungry here. Uh, they we stayed at a couple of really nice hotels. We were at uh, the Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. We were at the Kempinski Ooh. right along the Bosphorus, yeah. and we also stayed at the raffles these are all very nice hotels and at each one they gave us a traditional turkish treat called the turkish delight and i'd like to ask you guys a very specific question what is your favorite turkish delight okay my favorite turkish delight the rose okay i've tried all of the others lemon plain uh i think they had like a lime one and a purple one i don't even know what the purple one is but the the rose definitely the rose. It, you know you know what it reminds me of. I used to buy a lot of facial mists because I thought it would moisturize my face better, and they all smelt like rose. And that smell, I actually really like the smell, and that's what the rose turkey smells like. Smells yes. like. It, that's is, what it tastes right. like. Yeah. yeah, Aaron. So my favorite was actually the mastica flavor. So mastica is basically a type of gum. It's actually tree sap, and they grow on some Greek islands. It's called chios. You can get it on Amazon, and it tastes really good. It has this nice, fresh flavor. It's not chemically. It's not like an actual chewing gum, but it's, I don't know. I can't really describe the flavor well enough. You just have to try it. Which color was that one? Yeah, it was like a light yellow. 
but yellow. It they it depends, you know. They change the flavor. Hyos is actually a pale white. That's very exotic. Mm. My favorite is the chocolate. I'm actually looking at one right now that they gave us at our hotel in Cappadocia. Irresistible. It is just plain chocolate, and I love chocolate, so I like to eat the chocolate Turkish delights. There's there's only two. That is all I eat. Yeah, there's there's only two people in the world: people (laughs) who like chocolate and liars. There's also another Turkish food that we just discovered the other day when we were at the uh, we were at the oh, domestic that? lounge at the Turkish Airlines airport, and it's called simit. It's the Turkish bagel. It's mm. like a bagel, and it has sesame seeds around it, and it's delicious. I'm gonna let Aiden describe the flavor yeah. since he's a super taster. Oh, okay. For well, yeah, so okay. Well, actually, this is something I I'm going to go on just a tiny little tangent about super tasting. So if there are two things. There's super smellers and super tasters. If you super taste, that means it's all in your tongue and your tongue is able to taste a lot of things. And if you super smell, then that means you can smell thing, a lot of things. And a good way to tell if you're a super taster or a super smeller is if cilantro to you tastes or smells like soap. For me, cilantro smells like soap. I thought I'd tasted it before, but again, 90% of, well, I didn't say this before, but 90% of your taste is in your nose. So I'm a super smeller and I can smell things with uh, great accuracy. I don't even know what it does, but you can smell a lot of things, and cilantro smells and honestly tastes like soap to me. That had nothing to do with the bagel, though, because the bagel just tastes good. It doesn't taste like cilantro at all. Um, It's funny. It took us a week to get it. They were in all of these different stands around the city, but we're like... I don't feel like paying for it. No, so it took we, us a week to discover that. We, yeah, eventually we did. So yes. we waited until it was given to us for free in, a, in an airport lounge, uh, which, I mean, honestly, you are paying for the airport lounges. Yes. That's never for free. But I, I took advantage of the situation. I tried it. Uh, you know, it tastes really good with that. Um, it's got sesame seeds. It's kind yeah, of crunchy. It's very sesame-like. Yeah, and airy. Well, the bulgur sound? Yeah, it tastes yeah. very it, Yeah, it tastes very good with kasur which is like a bulgur oh, yeah. uh, salad mm-hmm. that they have there. It's a type of wheat, and it tastes really good. It's, it's like couscous, but creamier. Honestly, creamier. You are listening to the Elliot Confidential Podcast. I'm Christopher Elliot with Aiden Elliot and Aaron Elliot coming to you from Cappadocia, Turkey. Let us talk about places worth going to in Istanbul. We visited a couple of places that a lot of tourists go to. Aiden, your favorite spot to visit in Istanbul. Ooh, ooh, okay. So, I actually really liked visiting the Hagia Sophia. Why is that? And, the well, the biggest reason is they had these huge, I don't know if you call it a frieze or a mural, uh, of biblically accurate angels. And if you've been on the internet in the past two years, you probably know, well, actually, no, I would say six months mostly. But I, I remember seeing this as back as two years, as far back as two years. Biblically accurate angels are a very popular thing to talk about on the internet right now because everyone's like, it looks so much different from what you'd think an angel would look like. Aaron, your favorite place. So I really like the Hippodrome. So the Hippodrome used to be sort of an arena of sorts. It was it, it, it was a very large area. It's not the same as it used to be. Used for horse racing. Yeah, yeah. It was used for horse racing, exactly. But the interesting thing about the Hippodrome is in the very center, it has a third of an old Egyptian obelisk that was brought in from the Romans while Istanbul was under Roman control. Mm. And it is stunning. It is the oldest thing in all of Istanbul, supposedly. That's ironic. Yeah. It's ironic. It's beautiful and it's intact. It is beautiful. It is intact. And 
honestly, if they could have brought in the other two thirds, like that would be incredible. But I don't think that would be seismically. Yeah, I don't know why they cut it. They just cut the top third off. Too much work. They, they cut into three, over. and they were going to originally bring it all there and then put it back together, but they just didn't bother with the second half. Right, those things are heavy, The second yeah. two thirds, really. It's just the first one third. Okay. My favorite place was the Imperial Palace, specifically the park. It had a lot of really nice trees. A lot of tourists go to the Imperial Palace. They go inside and look at all of the... They have a kitchen with, you know, the, all of the exhibits and with kitchen knives and they have swords on display and things like that. They don't spend a lot of time out in the park, but, but the park is beautiful. It has a lot of old trees, very, mm. very old trees. Yeah. It's very peaceful and well-maintained. If you do go to Istanbul during the summer, try to spend a little bit of time out there in the park. It's really nice. Good place for a picnic, too. Our next subject is communicating with other people who may not necessarily speak English. I'm working on a story right now for the Washington Post about how to translate English to another language and apps that do that and best ways, best practices, that kind of thing. And we had some real life experience with that where we were using Google Translate. Yeah. We had two instances where we were trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. The first one was when we were on that boat ride on the Bosphorus, and we realized that our guide didn't speak any English. What happened next, Aaron? So basically, Google Translate has this feature where you can actually use Google Translate as, uh, what do you call it? You yeah, can I use, always forget. It's real-time translation. No, no, it's, it's not, it's not real-time it, translation. It's um, interpreter mode. Interpreter. Yeah. 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 yeah, so yeah. you can use Google Translate as your interpreter. So we used it as an interpreter. Uh, the, I think the hardest thing about that is just remembering to press the button. So you put in, uh, you dictate what you want to say, yeah. and then it turns out uh, something in Turkish. And then he says what he wants to say, turns out something in English. And you can communicate much better that way. Very little uh, error, very accurate. And also, uh, it's very fun. One thing that Dad discovered is that if you press the button twice for... Um, for an audio output, it'll go twice as slow. All right, that's what we discovered when we were in the cab, and I tried to press the button to do a translation into Turkish, and it really slowed things down, and we laughed so hard because it sounded like the voice was on drugs. She was going, hello, thank Actually, you no, for it, picking it, me up. It didn't even sound slow, it just sounded like a slurred like, voice. Yes, yeah, like she was drunk or something yeah. like that. Hilarious, absolutely hilarious, but I'm surprised that that a lot of people don't speak English here. They learn English in school, and then according to a guide that we had, they promptly forget it. They yes. just pass the exam, and then they're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This story that I'm working on for the Post is actually going to be really fun because I have a couple of anecdotes about people who couldn't communicate, so they used sign language. And the, and, and I talked to one sign language interpreter uh, who... who uh, you know, the person she was trying to communicate with did not understand sign language, so she started making animal noises. Anyway, you'll have to just read the story. It's funny. What the? Animal she was noises? oinking like a pig in a, in a food store. I'm oh, not making this oh, up. Oh, no, that's like that one video of the guy who says, oh, this is really good. What is it? And then the stand goes, meow, meow. Ooh. Oh no! Oh, come on, seriously. Uh, that was the actual video. Oh my god, it's it's pretty disgusting. You know, I have to say one thing. There's a lot of resources that allow you to pick up a basic level of whatever language you're trying to uh, communicate with. Pimsler. No, Pimsler is good if you want to become fluent. 
But I'd say this, there are a lot of really good apps out there if you want to pick up a basic vocabulary in the language of the country you're trying to visit. So for example, Turkey, I have two apps that I'm using for like basic vocabulary. There's Drops and then Memorize. And they're completely free, they're freemium services. And uh, they'll allow you to learn basically as much as you want to. But basically you can learn all the things that you need to do like, hello, how are you doing? See you later, all that stuff. And uh, that can really help you. So if you're trying to, I don't know, buy some Turkish bagels, uh, you can probably communicate well enough with a vocabulary of maybe 50 words. Yeah, pointing, and that's pretty easy. pointing works pretty good too. We've arrived at my favorite part of the show, which is your comments. And last week we had a lot of comments on this podcast, most of them having to do with the cats. They loved our cat photos. We should really post a couple of more cat photos because we have even more this week. I, yeah, I, I sent you all of them through email. Yes, thank you. I got them. Lots and of I, cat I have a, And please, let's, let's use a different filter on those because they, they all look like a, they're a little washed out, some of these. But we got a comment from Kathy A., who said, I've taken photos of cats in a lot of cat-friendly populations like Rome, Athens, and San Juan. I never knew that Rome was very cat-friendly, and, and definitely not San Juan. I was in San Juan before you guys were born, and I didn't see a lot of cats, but that is definitely good to know. Uh, we are going to be in Athens soon, and maybe we'll see more cats. I, I, I understand that Greek cats are legendary. They're actually very friendly, too. Hmm. Okay. Who knows? <laughs> we'll have to find out. We also got a comment from Dorothy about uh, animals that are not in such good shape. She says that she visited India on a few occasions and Oof. she says she can't go back because uh, of the wild dogs and the street dogs that are homeless. Um, and these dogs, through no fault of their own, are chased down or often beaten. We saw some dogs here in Cappadocia. They are uh, very well fed and extremely friendly and they all have tags in their ears too so they're being taken care of uh, actually the tags just mean that they're spayed and neutered yeah but they were also like extra friendly too yeah they're, yeah, very, they're very docile I remember reading this story once about uh, some tourist that went to Brazilian island and found an emaciated dog and decided to adopt it and uh, sometimes that happens but here I think everyone's adopted these dogs and so they're yeah. well fed and they're friendly. And they talk to them, too. You can see people going over there. I talk to the cats. I talk I, to the well, cats. the cats talk to me, well, too. Well, yeah, whenever I take a picture of the cat, I always show the cat the picture just to make sure that I, I got to, the good side. To get their approval. Yeah, I need their yeah. approval. Uh, cats, actually, all cats are technically citizens of France, so I need to get their permission before I post it on their <laughs> Yes. Uh, Ellen uh, wrote, I love your website. I rarely pay for subscriptions, but I paid for yours because it saved me so much money. Oh, Ellen, thank you so much. We try really hard. This this whole newsletter is really a, it's a passion of mine. It's a passion of ours, of all of us. And we're doing everything we can to make it better every single week, including this week. We're going to post an even a longer kind of ex explanation uh, and post with this podcast. Yeah with extra photos for you so i hope you like that yeah and don't worry i know you did it because of me thank you <laughs> you're, i carry this podcast you're so. <laughs> welcome you're welcome mm -hmm. <laughs> okay what's the next one uh our last comment oh this one is for you Aiden. what why is it for <laughs> me from mej this was an incredible and incredibly whiny podcast your children act very entitled. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to respond to MEJ. What did I say that was entitled? I don't know. I mean, I am entitled, but I mean, give me an example. 
I think that it was mostly your uh, comments about being in business class and not being able to sleep. I think that that's what set MEJ <gasps> <off>. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, uh, I'm sorry. I'm very sensitive sleeper. <laughs> I need all the room, okay? I am a tall man. I am six foot one. I Look, what was her name? Well, it's Emmy J. Emmy, uh, you don't sound like you're six one. Okay, come to me with after a sit after a business class flight, six foot one, and then tell me that you could sleep on that. Okay, Aaron, I would say that there's really nothing in that podcast that makes it sound like I feel like I deserve something. But I have to say this: I'm saying things that are honest, that I believe to be true. You know, those business class, those lie flat seats, they're not as good as we think they should be. And that doesn't mean that I'm an awful person where I'm like, I refuse to sleep because this isn't like some plush memory foam bed. <laughs> I mean, well, what is your yeah. problem? Wait, wait, wait. I actually no. want to say something And you're almost 6'2", so that you can barely fit in those seats. I know, you're the tallest. Yeah, I know yeah, that. And yeah. so, so I, well, I hear, here's what I think uh, she should take away from this. And that is... I, I don't I know, think, I don't know what MEJ well, is, I mean, man or woman. I think you should be grateful that we're being entitled because it means that we're giving you our honest opinion. We're very entitled. I mean, I mean very, very honest. Very honest. <laughs> very like, okay, if we were being shills, that would be an issue because yeah. then you're not going to get the, all the information you need before you decide to do something. We're just telling you, we're saying it as it is. Okay. My, my response to MEJ was that the cats made us do it, which is, you know, you can always blame it on the cats, right? Yeah. We're at the end of another amazing podcast here. I hope everyone had fun. I certainly did. Uh, we are in Cappadocia, Turkey, and next week we will have a full report on how Cappadocia went and some incredible pictures because I've been looking at these. They're just great. I know. Can't wait to share them with I you know. guys. All right. Bye, everyone. Okay. Goodbye. Love you. Ciao. Ciao.